Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, it's Alyssa Milano, and I can't wait for you to read my new book, Sorry Not Sorry. It's a collection of essays where I share my unapologetic thoughts on life, culture, activism, and motherhood. You'll learn some things about me that I know you've never heard before and share in my story as an activist. This book is such a big part of my heart, and so are you, and thank you for that. Sorry Not Sorry is available now everywhere books are sold. Hi, I'm Alyssa Milano, and this is Sorry Not Sorry. In 2020, Virginia became the 38th and final state to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. But the ERA is still not in the Constitution. I joined some amazing women testifying in support of that amendment in front of the House Oversight Committee in October. This episode is the unedited opening statements of all seven witnesses. It was historic, and I was proud to be a part of it. Welcome to everyone. As the first woman to chair the Committee on Oversight, I'm particularly proud to convene this hearing on what I believe is one of the most important things we can do to ensure equality for women in our country. Finally putting women in and the Equal Rights Amendment in the Constitution. Discrimination against women is a persistent problem, yet our country's fundamental document does not guarantee equality. That is why I've introduced the ERA 13 times during my career in Congress and why I'm so committed to seeing this amendment adopted as part of our Constitution now. The Equal Rights Amendment was written more than 100 years ago by the legendary suffragist Alice Paul, who I'm proud to say was a relative of my late husband, Cliff Maloney. After decades of effort, the ERA finally passed the House in October 1971. 50 years ago this month, and a strong bipartisan vote. It passed the Senate overwhelmingly the following year. The preamble to the amendment included a seven-year time limit, and in 1979, Congress voted to extend the limit by another three years. By 1982, the ERA had been ratified by 35 of the necessary 38 states. Then momentum behind the amendment stalled, but that all changed in 2017 when the women's marches and the Me Too movement reminded us all that we are still a very long way from equality. In 2017, Nevada voted to ratify, Illinois followed in 2018, and Virginia in 2020. 38 state legislatures have voted to ratify the ERA. 
meeting the constitutional requirement. But the ERA still does not appear in the Constitution, and this has to change. Federal law directs the archivist of the U.S. to certify and publish amendments that have met the requirements laid out in Article 5 of the Constitution. This is purely ministerial duty, which should be done automatically. But under President Trump, the Department of Justice issued an opinion advising the archivists not to certify the ERA. Today, I'm releasing a letter from preeminent legal scholars stating that this Trump-era legal opinion is legally erroneous and should be withdrawn. These scholars also make clear that the time limit in the preamble to the ERA is not an obstacle to ratifying the amendment. This time limit was not included in the amendment itself, and there is no time limit on equality. I strongly agree with a scholar's assessment that time limit is likely non-binding and that Congress clearly has the authority to extend or eliminate time limits if necessary. So today, I call on President Biden, who is a true champion of women, to withdraw this flawed legal opinion and allow the archivist to certify the ERA without delay. I also strongly support the legislation led by my colleague and friend, Congresswoman Speer, that the House passed to eliminate the time limit from the ERA. This would remove even the shadow of a doubt about the ERA's validity. I urge the Senate to take up this bill without further delay. After 100 years, women cannot wait any longer for full constitutional equality. The ERA is not merely a symbol. It will make a real difference in the lives of women and people who face discrimination, sexual violence, and unequal pay. The pay gap between men and women has persisted for decades, with the average woman being paid 80 cents for every dollar paid to men. For women of color, the gap is even wider. In order to make the same income as a man earned last year, a Latina woman in this country has to work an extra 10 months until today, October 21st. That is shameful, and it shows that the current legal standards are not adequate. In 1994, Congress passed the historic Violence Against Women Act, authored by then-Senator Joe Biden, which included a right for victims of sexual violence to sue their attackers. But when a young woman named Christy Brancala tried to sue a rapist, where there was no dispute, it was a gang rape, one even confessed, the Supreme Court struck down that part of the law as unconstitutional. More recently, a federal court in Michigan overturned a law banning female genital mutilation, which is an internationally recognized human rights violation. The judge found it was unconstitutional to ban female genital mutilation. What a disgrace for this to happen in the United States. With the ERA, Americans who go to court to challenge discrimination will have a fighting chance. Today, equal rights can be too easily rolled back depending on the ideological leanings of Supreme Court justices, but constitutional amendments are permanent. We can't always control who's on the bench, but we can change the document they are tasked with interpreting so that it better reflects the equality that all Americans deserve. This committee will continue to work to put the ERA in the Constitution. I am very pleased now to 
to recognize Congresswoman Jackie Speer, the sponsor of H.R. Res. 17, and ERA champion, uh, for a brief opening statement. Thank you, Chairwoman Maloney, for holding the first full committee hearing on the Equal Rights Amendment in over 40 years. I know that when the ERA is finally added to our Constitution, it'll be in no small part thanks to your steadfast commitment and leadership and the hard work of so many of the sheroes who are here to testify today. We're here today to acknowledge a sad truth. Our country's founding was based exclusively on excluding women in the Constitution. It was intentional. We were deprived of basic rights to vote, prevented from being hired for most jobs, and from owning property. To this day, we are paid less for our work, violated with impunity, and discriminated against simply for being who we are. The ERA was first introduced in Congress in 1923. That's 98 years ago. Yes, we're here today because nearly a century later, the Constitution still does not guarantee gender equality. We're here today because 193 United Nations countries, 165 of them have an Equal Rights Amendment, but the United States does not. Countries that have looked to us to model their constitutions have recognized the equality of women and men, yet we fail to do the same. We're here today because despite the tremendous progress women have made, we are still deeply unequal in society. In subtle and not-so-subtle ways, women are subject to discrimination, a reality denied by many of my colleagues across the aisle who insist we don't need the ERA because women are already equal. Well, to them I ask, what do you say to Christy Boncala, who was raped by two football players at Virginia Tech, and the court that said that, in fact, Congress didn't have the power to pass that part of VAWA? That's why Section 2 of the ERA is so important. Or how about Tracy Rexroth, whose starting salary at the Arizona Department of Education was $17,000 lower than her male counterpart. They had equal experience, equal education. But she was paid $17,000 less because of her salary history. A federal district court ruled that unequal starting salaries don't violate the Equal Pay Amendment because salary history is an acceptable business reason for unequal pay. Or Jessica Lenahan, whose estranged husband kidnapped, murdered their three young daughters after police refused to enforce a restraining order. The Supreme Court ruled that Lenahan had no constitutionally protected right to enforcement of her restraining order. Or how about Peggy Young, who was put on unpaid leave without health insurance by UPS when she got pregnant? The Supreme Court set such a stringent standard that in two-thirds of the cases after Young, courts ruled against pregnant workers seeking reasonable accommodation. If we had the ERA, these cases would have very different outcomes. The ERA will create stronger legal recourse against sex discrimination, empower Congress to better enforce and enact laws protecting women, and confirm the rightful place of gender equality in the Constitution not subject to the whims of Congress or the White House. It will also ensure that the Supreme Court uses the most demanding standard of review in sex, this, in sex discrimination cases the way it already does for race discrimination 
And despite the partisan rhetoric, I believe in my heart that most of my Republican colleagues know that this is not only the recognition of our inalienable rights, but that it is the right thing to do. That's why the Department of Justice must rescind the Trump administration legally flawed and non-binding legal memo on the ERA, and the archivist must immediately certify the ERA as the 28th Amendment, because 38 states have already ratified the amendment as the Constitution requires. I'm also proud to champion H.J. Res. 17, which passed the House earlier this year with bipartisan support to remove any shadow of doubt that the ERA is, in fact, our 38th Amendment. And I urge the Senate to act swiftly. I know that all of us will keep fighting until we achieve the promise of equal justice under law. Mark my words. We will get this done. We must get this done. Our daughters and granddaughters demand it. With that, I yield back. I'll now recognize the co-chair of the Women's Caucus, a true leader on women's equality, Congresswoman Brenda Lawrence, for her opening statement. And you will. Thank you so much, Chairwoman Maloney, for your leadership, relentless leadership in working to advance the rights and freedoms of women and girls, both in the United States and abroad. The urgent need for the Equal Rights Amendment is very clear. If I can quote my colleague um, who stated, uh, Jim Clyburn, that America is only great when its greatness is shared equal for everyone in America. Since our country's founding, women have been intentionally left out of the Constitution. We have been treated as second-class citizens at one time in our history and had to abide by laws that gave us no voice or representation. And for those who still question the need for the ERA, take a look at gender wage gap. Take a look at pregnancy discrimination. Take a look at the loss of reproduction freedoms. As the co-chair of the Women's Caucus, I introduced a resolution that will require our Declaration of Independence to state that all men and women are created equal. At minimum, can we as a country state that we are equal? We need the ERA so that women can achieve our full potential. We need the ERA to ensure that the rights of women and girls will not be rolled back by the political whims of the day, but instead be preserved as the basic rights guaranteed by the United States Constitution. In the words of Abigail Adams, remember the ladies. It would be wise, Mr. President, and for our government to remember the ladies, the ladies who have stood up and fought, who never stepped down when it came to serving our country and taking care of the least of us. I join today with such pride with all the women who are here today and the witnesses. I look forward to hearing from you who are in the fight, and I thank you, and I yield back. The, the gentlelady yields back, and I now recognize the distinguished uh, ranking member, my good friend Mr. Comer, for his opening statement, and ask him to please understand on a personal level I ran for Congress to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. That was my goal. 
And uh, this is the first hearing in a committee, full committee, that I've been able to achieve. So if I spoke a little too long or took the liberty of recognizing two incredible women leaders who have been uh, fighting just as hard as I have for this hearing and for the Equal Rights Amendment, and I certainly uh, grant as much time as the gentleman would like, and if you have two other members that would like to speak, uh, we certainly will recognize your right to do so, and I appreciate uh, your cooperation on Postal and on this. Thank you. Thank you, Chairwoman Maloney, and congratulations on uh, holding this hearing. Hopefully, we'll have uh, some hearings that uh, our side has been advocating for. But uh, the message that uh, I want to deliver today, all Americans, uh, men and women, should be treated equally under the law, regardless of the race, religion, or sex. Fortunately, all citizens of the United States are already guaranteed due process under the 5th and 14th Amendments to the United States Constitution and guaranteed equal protection under the 14th Amendment. Federal laws such as the Civil Rights Act of 1964, Title VII, the Equal Pay Act, and Title IX of the Education Amendments of 1972 already prohibit discrimination on the basis of sex in compensation, public accommodations, and federally funded programs. Despite what Democrats are telling us today, the 1970s-era Equal Rights Amendment is simply unnecessary and would be redundant of protections that already exist. In fact, one of our witnesses today, Inez Stepman, uh, will testify about the many potential adverse effects that the Equal Rights Amendment would have on this country, particularly on women. By taking away flexibility in our current legal regime that protects women's privacy, safety, and the ability to protect against harassment, the Equal Rights Amendment would usher in a new era of judge-created rules that could negatively impact women. The Equal Rights Amendment could jeopardize programs such as women's shelters and the WIC program. It could force the elimination of sex-segregated public facilities such as women's prisons and public school restrooms. It could also prevent female athletes from being able to fairly compete in sports. Not to mention the fact that the Equal Rights Amendment was introduced 49 years ago and the deadline to ratify it expired four decades ago. Several states even rescinded their ratifications. Whatever your views on the expired Equal Rights Amendment, equality under the law for men and women is already guaranteed by the Constitution and by statute and rightfully so. Yet, we're here talking about a long-expired proposed amendment. The Oversight Committee should be conducting oversight hearings on the Biden administration or examining legislation actually within our jurisdiction. We should be holding hearings on how the Democrats' COVID-19 shutdown policies disproportionately impacted women and how women are being left out of the already slow economic recovery. We should be holding hearings with the Biden administration officials to find out what they're doing to solve the crises affecting Americans today. This country is facing crisis after crisis, but it's clear that our current political leadership is unable to meet these challenges head on, even denying they exist in some instances. Whether it's the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan, the crisis on our border, rising inflation, or growing supply chain, supply chain issues, our committee should not remain on the sidelines. I urge the chairwoman to please act on the approximately 20 
Republican request for hearings or investigations, we have communicated this Congress. We should be doing our jobs to ensure that our government works for all the American people. Thank you, Madam Chairman, and I yield back. Yields back, and I'd now like to introduce our witnesses, and I would like to yield to my good friend, Mr. Conley, to introduce our first witness, and also I would like to now wave on the committee, Abigail Spanberger from the great state of Virginia, the last one to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Conley. You are now recognized to introduce your constituent. Thank you so much, Madam Chairwoman, and thank you so much for having this hearing. Uh, because um, I think uh, I think it is time. Uh, Virginia has acted. I join. Uh, I'm glad to be joined by my colleague, Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger, in welcoming a distinguished member of the State Senate of the Commonwealth of Virginia, Jennifer McClellan. Um, Senator McClellan has served the Commonwealth of Virginia for more than 15 years as a member of the House of Delegates and now in the State Senate. She's been a tireless champion for women's rights throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia, a fighter for progress, equity, and justice. Most recently, Senator McClellan introduced SJ-1, Virginia's Equal Rights Amendment ratification. After its passage in 2020, Virginia became the 38th and qualifying state to ratify the amendment to help our country take a major step to join more than 100 nations that recognize equality based on sex and gender in their respective constitutions. We would not have passed the 38th Amendment if we did not feel that we were finally solidifying the ratification, the full ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment by the action taken by Senator McClellan and her colleagues in the General Assembly of Virginia. We're proud of that accomplishment, and we're delighted to have Senator McClellan here, and I know she's going to describe later the process and thinking that went behind that action. Welcome, Senator McClellan. Thank you again for having this hearing, Madam Chairwoman, and thank you for allowing Congresswoman Spamberger and myself to welcome a distinguished uh, Virginian testifying today. I yield back. Thank you. And after Senator McClellan, we will hear from Alyssa Milano, who is an actor, an actress, a, uh, a writer, and an ERA advocate. Next, we will hear from Carol Jenkins, who is the president of the ERA Coalition. We will then hear from Inez Stepman, who is a senior policy analyst at the Independent Women's Forum. And then we will hear from Ellie Smeal, who is the founder and president of the Feminist Majority and publisher of the Ms. Magazine. Next, we will hear from Bambi Salcido, who is the president of the Trans-Latina Coalition and is a board member of the ERA Coalition. And last but not least, we will hear from Victoria Norse, who is the professor of law at Georgetown University Law Center. The witnesses will be unmuted so that we may swear them in. Please raise your right hand. Do you swear or affirm that the testimony you're about to give is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you, God? I do. Let the record show that the witnesses answered in the affirmative. With a thank you, and without objection, your written statements will be made part of the record. With that, Senator McClellan from Virginia, you are now recognized for your testimony.
Thank you, Madam Chair, Representative Conley, and Spamberger, and members of the committee. I'm very honored to be here today. I'm Virginia State Senator Jennifer McClellan. I'm here as a daughter, granddaughter, and great-granddaughter of educators, domestic workers, community leaders, and civil rights activists who struggled for equality in the segregated South. I am here as a mother who does not want to leave the fight for equality to my children, Jackson and Samantha. I am here as a legislator who helped lead Virginia to become the 38th and final state necessary to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment last year. The history of my family and my Commonwealth is one of facing inequities and working to create a better future for the next generation. 120 years ago, my great-grandfather, born on a plantation four years after emancipation, had to pass a literacy test and find three white men to vouch for him to be able to register to vote. But my great-grandmother couldn't. My grandfather and my father had to pay poll taxes. My mother comes from generations of domestic workers who served vital roles in our society and were often overlooked or treated unfairly and paid very little. And while my father could vote at the age of 22, my mother could not vote until well into her 30s after passage of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. I carried these legacies with me into the Virginia House of Delegates in 2006 at a time when there were only 16 women in that chamber. I felt that imbalance when I became the first delegate to give birth while in office and was asked if I would resign or retire as a result, while a male colleague who became a father two months later was not. For my family, my commonwealth, and my country, it has been a long march towards equality. And it is a march that has included women of color from the beginning even when we have often been the last to benefit from our work. Black women, including the founders of my sorority, Delta Sigma Theta Incorporated, in their first public act in 1913, marched for the right to vote in this very city, even when told to march in the back. Black women marched for civil rights in 1965 from here to the Lincoln Memorial, even though not given a speaking role. And women of color have led the way in the, in, for, the, for the passage of the ERA, including Representatives Shirley Chisholm and Patsy Tokimoto Mink 50 years ago when the House passed the ERA. Virginia's ratification was led by multi-generational black women, Senator Mamie Locke and myself in the Senate, and former Delegate Jennifer Carroll Foy in the House. Nevada's ratification was led by Senator Pat Spearman, other women of color pushing their states to ratify the ERA include Arkansas Senator Joyce Elliott, Florida Senator Audrey Gibson, North Carolina Representative Carla Cunningham, South Carolina Representative Gilda Cobb-Hunter, and Utah Representative Karen Kwan, just to name a few. I was proud to lead Virginia to become the 38th state to ratify the ERA last year. And given our history, it is poetic justice that it was Virginia to put the ERA over the top. In 1619, the men of Jamestown understood that for Virginia to be a permanent settlement, they needed women. So they actively recruited women to, quote, make wives to the inhabitants. And in May of 1620, 
the first 90 women arrived in response to that call, and their rights were surrendered to their husbands. They could not vote. They could not hold public office. They could not own or control property. African women and men who arrived on these shores in 1619 were considered property and had even fewer, if any, rights. And as you heard, in 1776, when Abigail Adams wrote to her husband as he went to the Continental Congress, she implored him and his fellow delegates to remember the ladies and be more generous and favorable to them than your ancestors. They didn't. Over the past 245 years, we have made progress, slowly. But true equality under the law for women, and especially women of color, has been elusive. With the ratifications of the Equal Rights Amendment by Nevada, Illinois, and Virginia, the states have now done our part. It is now time for the National Archivist to do his and certify the ratifications of these three states and publish the amendment. To the extent congressional action is needed, I ask you to take it immediately. It is time, it is past time, for the U.S. Constitution to join over 100 constitutions across the world and having gender equality in the, con- in the Constitution, including every Constitution adopted since World War II. It is time for me to stop fighting the same fights that my mother, my grandmother, my great-grandmother had to fight. It is time for me to tell my children, Jackson and Samantha, that the United States Constitution guarantees them both equality under the law. And I thank you for this opportunity to speak today. Thank you for your, for your testimony. Uh, Ms. Milano, you are now recognized for your testimony. Madam Chair, distinguished members of the committee, thank you for holding this hearing and for inviting me to share some thoughts with you today. Um, while I will speak briefly about the importance of the ERA, this hearing is not a debate on that amendment That debate is over. We won. The states have directed Congress to amend the Constitution, and now it is the duty of Congress and the administration to get out of the way and remove the arbitrary, unnecessary, and shameful deadline that was cynically imposed nearly half a century ago as a poison pill. Since the earliest days of our nation, women have been fighting Not waiting, but fighting for inclusion in our founding document. From the Seneca Falls suffragists to Alice Paul, from Shirley Chisholm and Gloria Steinem to the inspiring generation of young women and queer activists and allies of the new millennium. We have pleaded for centuries a simple and powerful thing. Equality under the law. I want my daughter Bella to grow up knowing she has the same rights as every man in this country. And I want my son Milo and every boy in America to know that too. They deserve a government that cannot treat them differently because of gender. If there is one word which defines the American identity... It is freedom. We call our president the leader of the free world. 
when we present ourselves to other nations advocating across the globe for democracy and human rights, it is freedom which drives that discussion. There are even members of this very committee who belong to something called the Freedom Caucus. But how can we be a free people when our governing document does not prohibit discrimination against more than half of the population? The answer, of course, is that we cannot. The lack of constitutional protections for anyone who is not a cisgender man is a blemish on the very idea of Americanism. As long as the Constitution allows gender-based discrimination, the United States can never achieve the greatness to which it aspires. 85% of UN member states have constitutions which explicitly guarantee equality for women and girls. Madam Chair, if you lived in Latvia or Iceland, you would be assured of having the same rights as the men on this committee. Here in the United States of America, you are not. Today, a white man on this committee will probably ask me which rights American women do not have that American men do. Allow me to preempt that question. There are many current gender-driven injustices in our country. But the Constitution is not simply about the present. The Constitution is about what we bring far into the future. It exists to protect us from the what-ifs. The ERA will outlive every one of us. It is a permanent protection of our most basic rights. Your obligation to the people of our nation, not just today, but in the centuries to come, requires you to take action. The framers failed us when they did not include women in the Constitution. Congress failed us when it added the deadline for ratification of the ERA. You, the members of this committee, have the opportunity and the obligation to fix the Constitution and stop it from failing us. Will you take it? Will you answer the call of history and the promise of the future, or will you continue to allow the enemies of equality to continue to prevent America from being a truly free nation? These are your only options. Thank you for your time. Um, Ms. Jenkins, you're now rec recognized for your testimony. Mm -hmm. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Chairwoman uh, Maloney, for the invitation to speak here today and to Ranking Member James Comer as well, and for the entire committee for holding a hearing on this important issue. It is well past time to lift the time limit. It is well past time to talk about the Equal Rights Amendment. And the first full co uh, committee hearing since the 1970s is absolutely long overdue. This is an important step for sex equality and for democracy, and we are grateful to be here. And I especially am grateful to be in this room, named for one of my heroes, Elijah Cummings. And I always love 
one of his admonishments to us that we can do better than this. And this is what I feel about America and its girls and women. We can do better than this. Uh, I'm glad to be here with my board members, Alyssa Milano and Bambi, Bambi Salcedo, uh, who are leading this effort in this country uh, for equality. Uh, my name is Carol Jenkins, and I'm grateful to be serving as the president and CEO of the ERA Coalition and its sister organization, the Fund for Women's Equality. Now, I've been fighting for what I call simple and pure equality, which is the concept of the Equal Rights Amendment for almost my entire life. This, what I call an agitation for democracy and equality, runs through my veins. I was born in one of the poorest counties in America, both then when I was born some time ago and still today one of the poorest. It's called Lowndes County, Alabama. It was farm uh, country. Uh, just outside of the capital city of Montgomery. They used to call it Bloody Lounge, where they lynched people for wanting to vote and much, much less. My cousin sat in at segregated lunch counters and got arrested and brutally beaten for the right to a cup of coffee. My successful businessman uncle bailed Martin Luther King Jr. out of the Birmingham jail as he sat there writing his famous letter that helped change our lives. Our family farm, that Lowndes County farm, was the third stopover in the historic march from Selma to Montgomery. I spent nearly a quarter of a century as a reporter documenting the failure of our democracy and its incremental improvement. And in South Africa, when I covered one of the most spectacular victories of persistence, Nelson Mandela emerging from prison alive and eager and this was after 27 years of imprisonment, breaking the back of apartheid and releasing millions of black-skinned people from a hellish state-sanctioned way of life. This fight for the ERA has lasted a century. The women and men who have waged this war against discrimination are every bit as determined as MLK and Nelson Mandela, and the rights we are fighting for are equally important. Fifty years ago, in 1970, our board member, Gloria Steinem, spoke right here in Congress in a hearing on the Equal Rights Amendment before the Senate and talked about the perpetual falsehood, one we still hear today. She said, another myth that women are already treated equally in this society. I am sure there has been ample testimony to prove that equal pay for equal work, equal chance for advancement, and equal training or encouragement is obscenely scarce in every field. She said that 50 years ago. It's still true today. And despite stating the case for the ERA in Congress 50 years ago, Gloria Steinem, Ellie Smeal, glad to be sitting next to another one of our leaders, and many others are still fighting for these same rights in 2021. And women of color, and black women in particular, have always been at the forefront of this movement. Shirley Chisholm gave a fiery testimony right here uh, in the House floor in support of the Equal Rights Amendment. Her support for the Amendment 2 led the way for passage of the ERA in the House of Representatives the following year, 50 years ago. And it was a queer, black, Episcopal priest, lawyer, and author named Polly Murray who was the architect of the litigation strategy used by Ruth Bader Ginsburg 
while arguing in support of a 14th Amendment to the Constitution. This led to Pauli being recognized as one of the mothers of the modern sex equality movement, and her arguments for equality for women included the intersectional take on her own identity as well, calling the meeting of racism and sexism Jane Crow. Pauli spoke about these overlapping identities in her powerful and persuasive testimony on the ERA. Black women have also led the ratification efforts of the last three states needed to reach the 38-state threshold required by the Constitution for all amendments. This revived the current fight for the Equal Rights Amendment across states and in Congress. State Senator Pat Spearman, another queer black woman, led the successful charge for ratification in Nevada in 2017. The next to last state to ratify, ratify Illinois, so black lawmakers, including State Senator Kimberly Lightford, then State Representative Latessa Wallace, and then State Representative Juliana Stratton lead the fight in 2018. And of course, as we've heard, in January of 2020 in Virginia, a multi-generational group of black women lawmakers led the ratification of the ERA, including State Senator Jennifer McClellan, who so eloquently and wonderfully led that fight. State Senator Mamie Locke, then State Delegate Jennifer Carroll Foy. Other lawmakers, key lawmakers in Virginia during ratification, were Delegate Hala Ayala, an Afro-Latina woman, and Delegate Danica Rome, the first out transgender woman to serve in a state legislature. This movement continues to move forward with black women in places of leadership throughout the advocacy space as well. Many of the organizations that are part of the ERA coalition are in fact now led by black women, including Supermajority, now the League of Women Voters, and others. And the coalition itself is presided over by uh, black women, I lead, and we have two board chairs, uh, Kimberly Peeler Allen and Mona Sinha. We are actually a tremendously broad coalition of movements, nearly 200 organizations representing women's rights, civil and voting rights, LGBTQ and trans rights, disability rights, faith groups, and workers' rights, including unions representing airline workers, 80,000 minors, and 350,000 teachers. We are all united in this effort to eliminate discrimination based on sex. The ERA coalition began providing a collective place for ERA action in 2014, and in these eight years, we've gathered these nearly 200 organizations as quality equality partners. We've worked in the states. We were present in the gallery when Virginia became the 38th and final state needed for ratification. We were in Congress with Congresswoman Maloney to mount a shadow ERA hearing in Congress to demonstrate why the time limit needed to be removed. Congressman Jerry Nadler told us that day that if he became chair of judiciary, he would give us the real hearing. And he delivered on his promise in 2020. And we were there with Speaker Pelosi and Congresswoman Speaker when the House passed the time limit bill. And I will say Your time is long past, uh, and that was a subcommittee hearing that we had then. But uh, your time has expired, as the gentleman points out. So can you wrap up and... Certainly. I will just say that as uh, the grandmother of two biracial children who have two mothers, uh, I want this uh, country to reflect their lives. I don't want them to be ashamed of who they are. I want 
their ability to be recognized in the Constitution of the United States uh, to be true. And I believe the only way that can happen is by uh, instituting, enacting the ERA. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Stepman, you're now recognized for your testimony. Chairwoman Maloney, Ranking Member Comer, distinguished members of the Committee on Oversight and Reform, I am honored to testify today against the proposed Equal Rights Amendment to the United States Constitution. I currently serve as a senior policy analyst with Independent Women's Voice and the Independent Women's Law Center. Today in the United States, men and women are equal under the law, but crucially, not interchangeable. We do not require that the law treat men and women exactly the same in all circumstances, even when they are incarcerated, in the sports arena, on the front lines of combat, because we understand that in some limited situations, physical and biological differences matter deeply. In those situations, the law is permitted to recognize the very real differences between males and females. In hundreds of everyday instances, that recognition allows women and girls to take advantage of opportunities, compete, and even feel safe. The recognition of biological sex has been a necessary prerequisite for the freedom, prosperity, and success American women have enjoyed these past several decades. These laws have created opportunities for women, maintained our privacy, and even protected our safety in situations where those differences become relevant and come with serious consequences. State, federal, and constitutional law all protect basic sex equality in 2021. Our nation's law books are replete with prohibitions on sex discrimination in education, athletics, housing, employment, including prohibitions on sexual harassment and unequal pay. To the extent that discrimination against women in these areas still exists, it is already illegal, and the ERA will add nothing to the protections that women already enjoy. The ERA, if written into our highest law in an illegitimate amendment process, will not advance the position of women and girls in our society, but instead undermine the successes we have already attained and even place us in harm's way. For example, incarcerated women have, until recently, been able to rely on being housed in a prison only with other women on the common-sense assumption that it is dangerous to house female inmates with male ones in close quarters and that co-ed prisons make women vulnerable to physical and sexual assault. But during our, uh, under our current legal protections, the government is not allowed to and should not be allowed to discriminate on the basis of race the way that it does by separating men and women's prisons. In Johnson against California, the Supreme Court held that preventing violence in prisons does not raise to the level of government interest required by the Constitution. If the same strict scrutiny standard were applied to single-sex prisons under the ERA, a conservative interpretation of its legal impact, by the way, women would quickly find themselves at the mercy of male prisoners. These consequences are already happening in states that are allowing male-bodied inmates who identify as female to transfer to the women's prisons, and that policy has already resulted in sexual assaults on female inmates. But the ERA could potentially make the problem far worse by extending that invitation not just to a small percentage of people who are born one sex and identify as another, but to all male prisoners, regardless of identification. After all, quote-unquote, discriminating against men by keeping them out of women's prisons is a discrimination on the basis of sex, exactly the kind of policy a plain-language reading of the ERA is intended to prevent. The same rationale could apply to any context in which the government separates or distinguishes between men and women. For example, when selecting a same-sex TSA agent to administer a pat-down at the airport. Similarly, public schools, whether on the K-12 or university level, 
would not be able to maintain separate bathrooms, locker rooms, or sports teams for boys and girls. Universities would not be able to maintain separate dorms for male and female students, and campus-connected sororities and fraternities would potentially become overnight constitutional violations. A boy whose 100-meter dash time qualifies him for the girls' team, but not for the boys' team, is kept off the former only by a quote-unquote discrimination on the basis of sex. Again, we are dealing with the ramifications of accommodating individuals whose gender identity does not match their born sex in all of these contexts already. But the ERA would throw the doors wide open to all males in these settings and more. Recognition of biological reality is not bigotry or discrimination. When we treat men and women as though there are no differences in size, strength, and otherwise between them, we create more female victims. Equality between men and women doesn't mean treating us exactly the same. Treating males and females exactly the same, regardless of biology, privacy, or circumstance, hurts women and girls. In 2021, the ERA has no upside. The language might sound nice, but it will not improve women's lives. To the contrary, by prohibiting public policy from ever taking into account biology and common sense, and by short-circuiting debate through an illegally rushed process, the ERA would deny the 62% of the electorate who weren't of age or born when we last considered the consequences of the ERA a chance to weigh in on the question of whether women and men should be treated identically in all circumstances. And by the way, the majority of that electorate is women. The ERA would harm women and girls, and I urge you to vote against its much belated resuscitation. Thank you. Ms. Meal, you are now recognized for your testimony. Excuse me, you don't have your microphone on and we can't hear you. It's the red bonnet in front of you. Great. Thank you very much. Uh, and thank you, uh, Chairwoman Maloney, for your years and your persistence and your leadership and your dedication to the ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment and to place in it in the Constitution. Your leadership has been uh, um, marvelous for all in this country, and I'm so happy about being here today. I am honored to work with you and this committee in asking for the ERA to be certified in the Constitution. I started, but you already said it, and I'm going to say it again. The Equal Rights Amendment is 52 words. It is simple. It's equality rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or any state on account of sex. The second clause is short. Congress shall have the power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article. And finally, the last section, one sentence. This amendment shall take effect two years after the date of ratification. I have worked for the passage of the Equal Rights Amendment for over 50 years. The arguments that you have just heard, I have had to listen to for over 50 years. I know what side I've been on, because while we've been fighting for gender equality to be placed in the Constitution, we've also been fighting day in and day out to empower women and girls and to win gender equality for all. Feminist Majority and the Feminist Majority Foundation are both dedicated to this principle, and we've worked on all kinds of programs 
But let me just go a little bit in my history on the Equal Rights Amendment, and you will see why I feel so deeply about this. I began my work as a young chapter activist in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, of the National Organization for Women. I was really lucky. That chapter had the national president, Wilma Scott Heidi, and the national coordinator, this is now 1970, uh, of the task force to pass the Equal Rights Amendment, Jean Witter. And why do I say their names? And I'm going to try to pepper more names in because thousands and thousands of people have fought for this amendment and have fought while they were fighting for it for equality in many other ways. Our chapter got rid of help want ads, men and female. We sued the Pittsburgh Press at that time but we only won by a five to four decision, even though it was blatant prima facie discrimination. Only 20 jobs about aver- different jobs advertised for the women and several hundred for the men. Now, in fighting, we also passed the Pennsylvania Equal Rights Amendment, which was one of the strongest state ones. We fought in state after state and now have them in over two dozen states. At the same time we did that, we, just a small group of women broke up the hearing for the 18-year-old vote so there would finally be a hearing in the Senate on the Equal Rights Amendment. The reason it's taken so long, this 100 years, is we lost about 50 of them, and I mean 50 of them, with very bright, wonderful leaders. How did we lose it? They boxed it up in committee. They wouldn't allow a vote. In fact, to get the first vote in the, and the only major, the, the vote to ratify in the House took 50 years because it was boxed up in the Judiciary Committee and they wouldn't allow a vote. And why wouldn't they allow a vote? This has been so popular. They knew it would pass overwhelmingly when, it, when, when in fact, it would uh, be placed on the floor. And when it was, after a discharge petition, by Martha Griffiths, and I had the pleasure to work with her at the very beginning of my own career. It was passed uh, 354 to 24 people, overwhelmingly, I would say, bipartisan. To get the hearing, uh, to get it going in the Senate, we disrupted uh, the hearings um, of the of the 18 year old vote, and and got a promise from Birch Bayh, the co-sponsor in the Senate, or the major uh, uh, sponsor in the Senate, um, that he would hold, finally hold hearings on it. And so in 1972, we won 84 to 8. These are not close votes. Because why? We were way ahead in the polls. People wanted equality for women. But we had to keep fighting. And, and at first it went really, really fast, but it got bottled up again and delays, delays, delays. For example, we're all grateful for the 38th state of Virginia ratifying, but we should say, what happened in Virginia? It was bottled up in the Privileges and Elections Committee of the House for about 50 years. And when, when it comes out, we passed it but they didn't come out until the year 2020. Bottled up. Now, what happened in between? I hear all the time about Title VII, Title IX. We worked to put those things on the books. 
feminists worked. But they've all, one of the things they keep on saying, you have all these guarantees. But what they don't say is that along the way, and we had a hard time on this at first, we now don't have that hard time, but is that others tried to defeat and undermine Title VII and Title IX. In fact, Title IX by the Reagan administration was gutted by the Grove City case. I don't have the time to go into that whole case, but we had to work to restore it and pass an amendment to restore it. Uh, same thing with the Title VII. The Roberts Court got Madam, it. Madam Chair. I, I, the gentleman is pointing out that your time has expired, and okay. you have pointed out very important reasons why we need it, because it can be rolled back rolled and overturned. Back. Uh, so thank you for that, but all your testimony will be in the record. I now recognize Mrs. Salcedo. You are recognized for your testimony. Thank you, Madam Chair. I have. Primero que nada, quiero dar gracias a mi Creador, mi Poder Superior, por darme la oportunidad de estar con vida un día más. También quiero honrar la tierra en la cual estamos aquí hoy en día y pedir permiso a la gente Natochkan y Pescatawa que me permitan decir unas palabras en su tierra. Greetings, everyone. I know that it was hard for some of you to understand what I just said, but it is customary for me that before I speak, I acknowledge my Creator for allowing me to breathe one more day. I also honor the land where we're standing today and I ask permission from the Nachkotank and the Piscatawa peoples to allow me to speak in their land today. I'm humbly grateful to be in your presence today. Thank you, Chairwoman Maloney and members of this committee for allowing me to share my experience, strength, and hope with you today. My name is Bambi Salcedo, and I am very, and I'm a very privileged trans-Latina woman who has the honor to be the president and the CEO of the Translatino Coalition, a national advocacy organization based in Los Angeles that also provides social support and life-saving services to gender, to trans, gender non-conforming, and intersex people. I also serve as a board member of the ERA Coalition. My experience is that of a person who has had the opportunity to, to survive many horrific experiences simply for being who I am, a trans woman who is Latina, an immigrant, someone who has overcome constant discrimination, multiple sexual assaults, homelessness, drug addiction, including overdoses, and left for death in alleys. I spent over 14 years of my life incarcerated. I have been chased out of neighborhoods and beaten. I had to do sex work as means to survive. I had guns pointed into my head. I committed multiple suicide attempts. I experienced all of this because I was pushed by our society because there were no laws or protections against discrimination to protect people like myself. I can honestly say that I have survived things that you probably are not able to imagine. But what is most unfortunate is that the same issues 
that I have endured and overcome, many members of my community are experiencing today all across the country. Even in California, which is the state that has the most inclusive legislation to protect trans people. 2021 will be a record number of murders in the trans community. I have seen many of my friends die. I have organized more funerals than celebrations in my community. All of this because we have no national legislation that will serve as a protection for all people. I know that you're probably going to say, what about the Equality Act? The truth is that the Equality Act does not look at all of the intersections across my life and will not provide constitutional equality. For example, I am glad that my friend Monica Ramirez started Latina Equal Pay Day, which we're acknowledging with sadness today. As a trans Latina woman, we pay, the pay gap is enormous. The discrimination that we experience while trying to get employment in the work and in the workplace is rampant. The Equality Act would not support other trans women and me obtaining employment and being compensated in value equally for our work. The Equal Rights Amendment will help ensure no discrimination against all peoples, poor, indigenous, black, trans, women, all peoples. My strength is that I get to share with you who I am and what I have overcome and how people have uplifted me and supported me to heal my wounds, which unfortunately our government has failed to do. My strength is that I speak to you with my truth because my truth is my power. My hope is that you understand the opportunity that we have in this moment in time, that you understand that the Equal Rights Amendment is what our nation needs right now to heal the intergenerational wounds generated against the most marginalized. I hope you open your hearts and your minds and you do the humane thing to do to ensure that all peoples, not only those who are like me, have the, the rights that we deserve, that we get to be acknowledged as the human beings that we are, that we're giving some dignity, and that we honor the work of many people who have tried for more than fifty de- for more than five decades to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. We have an excellent opportunity to support all peoples and not just some. While I support the Equality Act and its passage, the ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment nationally needs to happen. I hope that I get to see the passage of the Equality Rights Amendment in my lifetime. Every day, I'm afraid that I can be killed simply because I am a trans woman. I ask that you see that there's no other time like what we have today, that we do not continue to see divisions, nor continue to feel messages that say some people are more deserving than others, but rather that we see people in this country need to be protected in value and to use your power to ensure the affirmation of the Equal Rights Amendment. There's no time like with the present, and the time to act favorably about the Equal Rights Amendment is now. Please be be on the right side of history. Only you can do that for yourself. And many people depend on you to do what is humane. I am sure that generations to come will see then who are the people who understood what human and civil rights are, who use their power for the betterment of all peoples. Today is a historic day, 
and I want for you to ask yourselves, do I want to be on the right side of history? I hope your conscience says yes. I invite you to imagine a new world, a world of constitutional equality, equality and freedom for all. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your presence today. Thank you. And Professor Norse, you are now recognized for your, your testimony. Thank you, Chairwoman Maloney and Ranking Member Comer. Uh, it's a delight to be here with these enormous, these wonderful women. And thank you for your leadership. My name is Victoria Nurse. I'm the Ralph Whitworth Professor of Law at Georgetown, and I write and teach about constitutional and statutory interpretation. I ask my constitutional law students to read the text. It's a beautiful text of 4,000 words. But then I ask them, what is absent from the text? And I say, well, does it say anything about sex discrimination in work? Could you be fired because you're a woman or a man, for that matter? And they look very hard in the text, and they are disappointed to find nothing. Now, I understand there have been people here talking about rights being protected. Uh, they're talking about statutes. Those statutes can be taken away by Congress, and they can be declared unconstitutional by the Supreme Court. Justice Scalia was quite candid about the text of the Constitution. He was a great friend of Georgetown. Um, and he would come to the, the law school and talk about the text of the Constitution and the 14th Amendment. Now, he was very candid when he gave an interview. And he explained that the words equal protection, the 14th Amendment has been mentioned today, uh, do not cover women. This is what he said. Certainly, the Constitution does not require discrimination on the basis of sex. The only issue is whether it prohibits it. Nobody ever thought that that's what it meant. It's referring to the 14th Amendment. Nobody ever voted for that. If the current society wants to outlaw discrimination by sex, hey, we have things called legislatures, and they enact things called laws. Justice Scalia told women to look to Congress, not the Constitution, for their rights. Recently, I watched the brave testimony of gymnasts Simone Biles, Ali Raisman, Maggie Nichols, and others who testified about their sexual assault and why the federal government had done so little, how the law had failed them, how they were disbelieved and ignored. It was something of a deja vu for me. 30 years earlier, in the year 1990, I was a very young baby lawyer sitting behind a man named Joe Biden on the Senate Judiciary Committee. And I listened to emotional testimony like that of Bambi today about how the legal system had treated them as second-class citizens. It's been 30 years since that testimony. And yet those brave Olympians were saying the law still did not protect them, that the FBI had turned a blind eye. And I knew the deep reason for this. Why? It resides in the Constitution. And let me explain that. In 1994, Congress passed a bipartisan bill that might have helped many sexually assaulted and harassed women of color, of sexual orientation, and that would have included uh, <clears throat> the Olympians or the survivors of Weinstein and others. Uh, the original Biden Violence Against Women Act included a civil rights remedy. So you could go to civil court. If the criminal justice system doesn't work, go to civil court. Women did not need to go to the FBI. If the criminal justice system treated them poorly, they had justice in their own hands. And it worked for six years. But then in 2000, guess what happened? The Supreme Court struck it down. So a future Supreme Court, 
as Ms. Milano said, you don't need to be a constitutional law professor to realize that the Supreme Court can strike down a law passed by Congress. In Morrison, the court said not under the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, nor under the Commerce Clause, did Congress have the power to enact a civil rights remedy to protect against sexual violence and harassment. Now, I urge Congress to rethink this. I know that uh, President Biden supports this remedy, but the moral of my story is much broader. It's about the Constitution. We now have a court of nine unelected men and women, six of whom idealize Justice Scalia. The six justices who have publicly aligned themselves with him have a judicial philosophy. And I've debated Justice Barrett before when she was a law professor. Um, She's a lovely woman, but she has a judicial philosophy that she thinks insulates her from bias. And that judicial philosophy is known as textualism or originalism. I write about this. I study it. What that means is if it's not in the Constitution, it doesn't exist. This is a new theory. No one ever told me in law school about it. So even if there are precedents on the books that were mentioned by one of the witnesses and by Mr. Comer about the 14th Amendment, there's no guarantee that this court will not overturn them. So ladies, and to my daughter and to my son, be afraid. Other than the 19th Amendment, which gave women the right to vote, women are not recognized in the Constitution's text. Without the Equal Rights Amendment as a constitutional insurance policy, all of the things that women take for granted could simply go away with a vote of five men on the Supreme Court. Unequal protection is not a fantasy. It is a reality every day for women who are harassed, sexually assaulted, the victims of domestic violence. Harassment with impunity structurally protects racial and age discrimination as well. It is no wonder that interest in the ERA has mushroomed in the Me Too Time's Up era. Young women know. I'm chairman. Let me just say one final word about um, this amendment. The time limit was in the uh, preface to the amendment, not in the text. So when the 38th state ratified, it was ratified. If necessary, Congress has the power to extend the deadline but that is only if necessary. And the OLC opinion, in my view, has no legal validity and it is not law. It's time for the Constitution to reflect the principles of its first three words. We, the people. Not we, the men. We, the people. Equality is not an issue of party. It's not an issue of politics. It's an issue of basic human dignity. The Equal Rights Amendment is a powerful and simple statement. We are all equal. Without this equality, there is no security. Without this equality, there is no safety. Without this equality, America can never live up to the aspirations of the framers and every person who continues to make us who we are. Let me be clear. Ratifying the ERA will make real and meaningful changes in America that will help Every single person who calls her home. It will empower the courts to ensure women earn equal wages for equal pay, and that our citizenship has equal value. It will make sure that all people, no matter where we fall on the spectrum of gender identity, will have sovereignty over our own bodies at home and in the doctor's office, and it will change the face of business as companies enact recruitment, retention, 
and advancement programs that ensure a woman's path to the executive suite doesn't stop at executive assistant. Each of these things on their own would justify adopting the ERA, but more than anything, ratifying the Equal Rights Amendment will say to the nation and to the world that the most important document in American history refuses to allow any person to be discriminated against because of who they are. It will define America as she was meant to be. We the people. My name is Alyssa Milano. I'm an actor. I am a businesswoman. I am a mother. I am an author. I am an American. And I belong in the Constitution. Thank you. Sorry Not Sorry is executive produced by Alyssa Milano. That's me. Our producer is Ben Jackson. Audio editing and engineering by Maciej Lewandowski. And music by Josh Cook, Alicia Eagle, and Milo Bugliari. Don't forget to rate, review, and spread the word. Sorry. Not sorry.